This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Good evening, everybody. How y'all doing? Got a great show planned for you. We're going to be talking about ways to prevent divorce. But as always, we're talking about all relationships, even though we're using this topic through the lens of, you know, committed romantic relationships, marriages, dating exclusively. This applies to all relationships. This is about relational skills that are shown to help people have long-term healthy relationships and predict the uh, falling apart of relationships, whether that's divorce or otherwise. So stick around for that. Question of the night, as always, is up on our Loveline IG page. So uh, do that. That's over in our stories. Got some great stuff going on. I want to share some positivity. Uh, First trans WNBA player shares top surgery photos in a heartfelt post. I love this. The whole team is supportive. I love things like this. And this is for Laisha uh, Claridon. And uh, phenomenal. All people of all different body and gender expressions exist in the world. I, I like that we're starting to see the diversity, especially within sports, which tended to be really binary in terms of gender. And now we're going to have to exp- you know, allow fluidity. This is uh, trans bodies exist. Intersex bodies exist. Fluid, creative ways of you know expressing ourselves exist. We have to welcome that. The world has to meet people where they're at right? Institutions, norms, and values have to meet the needs of people. People shouldn't have to limit or deny who they are to fit into traditions, structures that we created and we can change. We got to update stuff. The world changes. There's no shame in that. Change the way things have been done. I'm here for it. You know, categories being removed where it's not best male or female actor because some people don't identify as other. We're just doing best lead. We have to get rid of these gendered categories. So I'm here for it. I'm here for us meeting the needs of individuals. Why? It's a mental health issue. People have a right to be seen and treated as they are. So I love that. Stacey Abrams nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize for protecting the right to vote. She founded Fair Fight Action after her closely fought race for governor of Georgia in 2018. Since then, she's been dedicated to combating voter suppression in Georgia and advocating for all Americans, especially minority communities and those in lower income neighborhoods around the 2020 census. Love that. And sticking with that, also Black Lives Matter movement nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize. This is phenomenal stuff. This stuff matters. Um, we're all familiar with both of these individuals, the organization, and also Stacey Abrams. Congratulations to both. I, I love that we're starting to elevate and recognize people of color and black people, but more importantly, looking at these movements and the valuable, important work that they're doing. Thank you, Stacey. You know, we got uh, we got that guy out of um, 
Sorry, I don't know why my phone's on. That's rare. Got that uh, nasty guy out of office. We got Biden in. Again, that does not solve all problems. He's not going to be the white cis hetero savior that some people think he is, you know, but it's a better shot than we have with Trump. So we're glad that that happened. And again, just re-reporting on this, we talked about this in Oregon starting, uh, what day was that on? February 1. So this is a couple days ago. Uh, Possession of all drugs is now decriminalized. Why? Get people the help they need. You know, someone struggling with drugs and alcohol and addiction, that's not a crime. That's a mental health issue. Now they'll get the help they need. So it starts laying that foundation for us to not just penalize. But the only issue I have is that some people will be given, um, they won't face criminal charges, but they'll be given the option of paying a fine or undergoing a health assessment at a drug treatment facility. I don't want people to be forced into treatment that they don't want and they're not ready for. That's not what the mental health world's about. We are not part of the carceral system. Um, excuse me, we are not part of the carceral system. That means the legal prison system. I want nothing to do with that. I'm about mental health. I'm about safety and healing and rehabilitation. So I'm glad that they're getting an assessment. I don't want them mandated because not everyone who uses drugs is an addict. 90%, 75 to 90% of people that use drugs are not addicted or addicts. They're casual users and they use successfully. It's a small number of people that are addicts. Let them get the help they need. But just because you're busted for drugs doesn't mean you're an addict and need treatment. So I like that there's options. Unfortunately, paying a fine is classist and sometimes racist. Not everyone has $100 and you shouldn't be penalized for carrying drugs. That's an adult decision. It's a mental health issue. So we have to treat that differently and treat that better. We're working on that. Um, And also so proud, National Youth Poet Laureate Amanda Gorman, who you saw read her poem at the Biden inauguration, she's coming out and supporting abortion bans. I love that. In a new video, um, you can see her talking about the importance for girls and women and how it's both a physical, uh, public health issue, physical health and mental health getting the abortion needs met because we know that banning them is actually working against women. It's keeping people in poverty. They will go get unsafe abortions. It's a whole mess, but it's a private issue that should be between the individual themselves and also their healthcare providers and not decided by politicians, right? We got to keep our hands off other people's bodies and let them decide what's right for them. Um, Yeah, I guess I'm not going to get into this next story. We'll do it tomorrow night. I have a lot of really great stories to open the show with, but um, we're not going to have enough time to really sit with the one I want to sit with. So coming up next, talk about relational skills, ways that predict and thereby can prevent divorce and relational breakdown. We'll also be doing some question of the night. So weigh in on that on our IG page in the stories. And then of course, doing some DMs. So if you got a DM for me, drop it on our Loveline IG page in the DMs and we'll answer that for you. And you can check out past episodes of Loveline by going over to wearechannelq.com. We've got a great show planned. So stick around. You are listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back and we're talking about things that predict divorce. Now, again, you might say, this isn't a segment for me. I'm not married. Doesn't matter. These are, again, skills and um, behaviors that everyone in any kind of relationship can relate to and wants to pay attention to. Again, parent child, uh, boss and employee, colleague to colleague, friend. Romantic partners, these are things to think about. So again, it's focused this research on married couples. And this research, excuse me, comes out of um, a lot of different places. 
uh, generally came out of the Gottman Institute, which is an institute that does research on married couples. And they have a lot of uh, longitudinal studies, which means they track the same individuals or couples over a length of time. And that kind of study provides the most robust outcomes versus cross-sectional where they just kind of jump in, see what's going on and try to you know, take data from that that you can't then always track. Uh, where something longitudinally where you're constantly repeatedly sitting down and interviewing or doing research with them, you can look at the ebbs and flows and really get a better understanding about long-term outcomes, right? All that to say, this is pretty robust material, <clears throat> not, not, not hyper-intellectual by any means, but work that I uh, definitely use in my own clinical practice. So we always want to remember that we want to start by looking at ourselves. <laughs> I have to remember, I have to remind everyone that, that's the caveat, that before we start assessing or judging our partners and whether or not they do this, and there is some utility to that. Are there any tips or tricks within this that you can, you know, lovingly sit down and discuss with your partner, right? We're not judging or criticizing. You can sit down and lovingly say, hey, you know, I was listening to this segment on Loveline and a couple of things came up and I thought we could talk about it as a couple. But short of that, I want you to first start by assessing yourself. What kind of boss are you? What kind of parent are you? What kind of friend are you? What kind of you know partner are you? Assessing how you initiate and step into these dynamics. It, it always matters. So the, the frame is always important. How do you set the tone, right? How do you initiate? Because you're setting the foundation upon which some of these difficult or easier conversations are going to happen. So we call it the startup. How are you starting up this conversation? Because that matters. Uh, whether you're sitting down with this person and their day's in motion, so they're already in a mood, you know, whatever that is, positive, negative, whatever, um, you help dictate how they perceive what's happening based on your startup. So couples that fare better and deal with conflict better, they do not use what we call an aggressive or harsh startup. They don't enter the conversation that way because research shows that individuals of any kind that start aggressively, harshly, right, that that will absolutely lead to negativity. Excuse me, I drank my coffee too fast. So 96% of the time, that's one of the stats, <clears throat> you can predict the outcome of a conversation based on the first three minutes of the interaction. That's a huge, huge tool that within those first three minutes, you have a lot of control and power over to a 96% accuracy, which is very high. You have a lot of control over how this goes. Now I think back to my own childhood <clears throat> when my dad, whenever my father would want to talk to me about something, he really did not have a good startup. He wouldn't have a harsh or aggressive startup, but he would always amplify, dramatize, or catastrophize. Initially, instead of giving me my own experience, he would tell me what my experience is gonna be before we even had the talk or the topic came up. He'd say, come into my office, I need to talk with you. Well, that is a horrible startup because you're already now putting me in a state of anxiety and distress because your tone and the way you framed it told me this isn't something I want to hear. Well, you don't know that. Start it up at least neutrally so that I can have my own experience. Maybe I'm in a great mood where I feel empowered and I can handle this. Maybe I'm not going to be as anxious or feel as bad as you think. Let me have my experience. Had he said, hey, can we talk for a minute? 
and just said, listen, I wanted to share something with you and let me have my own experience. I wouldn't enter the conversation starting at an elevated anxious rate, thereby already struggling to regulate myself. And then you might tell me something that spikes my dysregulation, but I'm already dysregulated. Whereas had he started it in a more neutral startup, I would have started at zero and then maybe only gotten up to a four or five. And that's an easier place for me to regulate myself versus starting it off with me at a four or five and then adding something that gets me up to a six, seven, eight, nine, or 10. And it's really hard to regulate myself. So again, <clears throat> one of the most powerful ways to predict a positive outcome is your startup. Start neutral, start loving, start thoughtfully. And I always tell people, say things and do things in what we call a relational way, which means I'm honoring that I'm talking to a person, a person I want to feel safe and stay connected to. I want this person to feel close and connected during and after this conversation. And so I do it in a relational way, which means my tone and my languaging is not only not an aggressive or harsh startup, but I also say it in a very loving and supportive way, because that's what these kind of conversations should be. I'm not trying to make you feel pushed out. Um, okay, now moving forward. So that's the first thing you always wanna consider, the frame you're setting. Are we starting off at a zero or at least only a one or a two? We're not coming in hot, as they say. We're not telling it like it is. We're not confronting people. Those are all aggressive, high conflict startups. And we don't wanna do that because you're, you're already setting the tone negatively. Okay, the next one is looking at different styles of relating, right? Now we're looking at our style. And this research breaks it down into four different styles. People can be more than one style. People can oscillate between styles, but it's good to know what style you might have and what style might be better. And again, we're assessing ourselves first. As I said earlier, yes, there's a place to sit down and say, hey, honey, I, I wanted to talk about something I learned. I noticed that startup is important, and I noticed that we as a couple tend to not have a good startup. I'm learning and working on having a more neutral startup because I don't want you, honey, to enter a conversation already feeling bad before you've even started it. Even in just talking about yourself in front of your partner, they're learning that skill. You don't have to target them and say, this is what you do. You can be transparent. I love transparency. When you talk about what you're working on or you're struggling with, they're learning through your process, which is why I love being a therapist. As other people are doing this work, I'm learning about my own self. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to continue to talk about relational skills that will help prevent divorce. But again, this applies to all relationships. Uh, question of the night, as always, up on our Loveline IG page. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back and we're talking about just general healthy relationship skills. We're looking at it through the lens though of couples, romantic couples, but all these tools apply to boss and employee, employee to employee, friend to friend, parent to child. Um, this applies to everyone and that's why I love psychological topics. We can all learn something from it, whether we're in a relationship romantically or not, whether we're married or not, whether we're exclusive or not, even if we're poly and open, these are all things that apply to everyone. And as always, we're starting by assessing ourselves first. And then if we want to share with our partners, they can learn by us sharing very beautifully, transparently and vulnerably what we're working on and what we've learned. And then they're absorbing that as well. And maybe even they're open to you saying, hey, I noticed this about you. 
So we talked in the beginning about the importance of the startup. <clears throat> what kind of frame are you setting? What's the foundation upon which you're delivering or having this hard conversation? How you enter it matters. We don't want aggressive, confrontational, hard startups. We want to start off at a zero, neutral, right? And then we're moving into the different relational styles. So the ones that are most important, although there's many more, and people can do them a little differently. You can come in and in and out of multiple ones. But for the sake of just simplification, there's criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. So we're not going to get too deep into this. You can go do some of the research. Um, but in the end, you don't really need to. It's just more about having a general understanding, very superficial of some of these topics. Um, criticism. I always tell people, don't criticize. Instead, make requests. We tend to say, you never, you always, blah, blah, blah. Criticizing puts someone off. If you make a request, it not only feels better, but it also is a direction. It helps them understand what you are looking for. It's better to provide what you're looking for versus just criticizing about how someone does something. That's not even constructive. So instead of saying you never take out the trash, which is judgmental, not honest, because I doubt it's never ever, but more importantly, it puts someone in a position of defensiveness because you're making it really about whether or not they do or how often they do. And that's not even what you were looking for. You were just really trying to say, could you take it out more often? Or could you take it out? Start there, start only there. Hey honey, it would mean a lot to me if you could take the trash out. Hey honey, it mean a lot to me if you could always take the trash out. That feels better than challenging and discussing whether or not they do, how often they do. Get out of criticism, stay in request. So if you're someone who's hypercritical, check that. That's not the helpful and that just feels bad and it just puts people in a defensive space. Also contempt. If you have contempt for someone, we have a huge problem. Some couples let things go as far as feeling resentment and anger towards each other and contempt means I don't like you anymore. That's not a simple thing. So if you're in a place where you feel like you just don't even like your partner anymore, you need some couples therapy or individual therapy immediately because the relationship's essentially over and there's nowhere to go from there. You have to resolve that when you no longer like your partner. You can't just plot along thinking things will be okay because that's a horrible foundation upon which to have everything else that needs to happen, happen. So if you feel like you don't like your partner or you feel as though your partner just no longer likes you, get into some therapy or it's time to maybe end that relationship or it's time to take some space and to figure out if that's real, if you need to honor that and what's going on. That is not a place from which a relationship can run itself. And I see that. I see that in couples. They're together for a multitude of reasons, but they don't like each other anymore. And that's not the point of being in a relationship. We don't have to be in one. We, we are in them because we choose. And if we're not happy or, or we're making someone else unhappy with our presence, it's time to go. That's called being a healthy adult. Next is defensiveness. Again, not helpful for anyone. Where you're feeling like you're constantly just defending. You have to be open to hearing requests from your partner. Healthy relationships are one where we can talk to each other about what it feels like to be with each other. You can say, hey, honey, it's been really hard to be in this relationship or marriage this past month. Or say to your boss, it's been really hard working here for the past month. Um, can we talk about how I feel and what maybe is necessary to make things feel better to me? Because we do want to care about the impact we're having on those around us. I don't care what your role is, your identity, your title. You have a right to feel safe and good. And no one has a right. I don't care what their role, title, or identity is. No one has a right to make someone's life harder. Be a positive influence on someone's life regardless of what your role is in their life. And finally, stonewalling. That is when you just 
are never available to have vulnerable, intimate, transparent, honest conversations. The minute someone says, can we talk about this difficult thing, what it feels like to be in this relationship, whatever it is, and your answer is always not now, I don't wanna hear it, or you start name calling, you're always nagging, you're always uncomfortable, that's not healthy. You need to be open to dialogue about both your behavior and what it feels like to be in the relationship, period. You have to. That is an important part of being in a safe, healthy adult relationship is that we can talk about our relationship and what it feels like to be in this relationship. Really, really important stuff because otherwise there's no change and there's no growth and that's just how it's always going to be and that's never fair. We are always, we always have to be open to talking about change and shift. We have to because new things emerge as we move through the lifespan. And it can't just be what worked before is now has to work as well. No, we have to be open to the flexibility of shifting and changing. All right, coming up next, we're going to slide into some DMs. But when we come back, we're going to continue talking about some necessary changes to make to prevent not only divorce, right, to predict it and prevent it, but also just to make all of our relationships healthier because these skills apply to everyone. So like I said, DMs coming up next. And later in the show, we'll be doing some question of the night. So weigh in on that. That is on our Loveline IG page. You are listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, y'all. We are back and now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Slide into our DMs is brought to you by Astroglide. This Valentine's Day, we aren't sliding into DMs, we're gliding into them. That's because Astroglide is here with a dozen different personal lubricants for whatever or whoever you want to get into this month. From self-love to an intimate night with your loved one, Astroglide can help you surpass your intimate expectations. All right. DMs come from our Loveline IG page. Got a question for us to drop it on in there, just in those DMs. Always open and, uh, you know, remember, always confidential and anonymous, but more importantly, Whatever you might be wondering about, struggling with, wanting to dive deeper into, other people might as well. So uh, no question too small. Hit us up with them. We're always happy to answer them. Really hard to find really good sex positive, body positive, mental health information out there. So uh, take advantage. Tonight's DM says, hey, Dr. Chris, honest question. Is anyone kissing their partner less during COVID? I have for sure. Uh, so you bring up a broader, wider, important topic. How COVID and all the regulations and restrictions, um, the the anxiety around understanding how things are easily transmitted, and also, God, the impact of having not had a lot of physicality or closeness to individuals. So yeah, a lot of people are struggling with that, and that's one of the things that we're worried about post-COVID, is I'm talking to a lot of individuals that have self-isolated, you know, following the regulations, and they're worried about how comfortable they'll feel re-entering closeness. Now, here in LA, coffee shops, the outdoors are open. And I've been spending some time <clears throat> out there masked outside on the patios away from people. And um, I, I feel it in my own self where, you know, we're starting to have anxiety about closeness. Part of it's very reasonable and rational, right? As we're walking down the street, people kind of move over, step to the side. If you get too close, they give you a look. So yeah, we're going to have to renormalize closeness. But I've said this before in different ways. I'm, I'm okay with us really centering and prioritizing 
space and distance and boundaries so as to not get sick. I didn't realize that I wasn't washing my hands as often as I needed. I wasn't realize how easily things are transmitted. And as someone who's really busy and doesn't like having have forced downtime due to illness, moving forward, I'm gonna be keeping a lot of space. I might even wear my mask in public spaces. I don't know. So some of this was necessary, but I do appreciate where some people with partners or re-entering dating or sexuality have a lot of anxiety about how this might have long-term impacts. And that's something we're going to have to deal with and show up to. Now, I also know the, the law of human gravity, which generally says that we go back to our baseline and what was <clears throat> easiest. And so I do think we will re-familiarize ourselves with, with touch and closeness and time together. So I really don't worry that this will be ongoing. I, it may for some, and I do think the transition could be different and take some time. So yeah, I think a lot of people have reduced physical contact. I think a lot of people are finding new, colorful, creative ways to be sexual, right? <clears throat> Via sexting, um, FaceTime, video exchange, cam, and, and that will normalize. And I'm okay with that. I think that that was a really good thing to have added to people's repertoire. But as far as those we're in contact with daily, I think it's smart that we're thinking differently. Anyone that leaves the home essentially then becomes risk. And it's different levels of risk. But the minute you leave your home, that person or you is possibly bringing something back. And if you're spending time around people, it's very understandable that something like kissing <clears throat> is going to create some anxiety. Now, we will, funny enough, be talking about some interesting facts about kissing later in the week. So definitely stick around for that. And some of that will kind of tie into what we're talking about. But don't panic. Don't worry. Again, things will normalize. Things will familiarize. The best predictor of future behavior is often past behavior, and we will get back to what's familiar. You know, I'm in a long-distance relationship. I've talked about this. We will be cohabitating in the same city very soon in a few months, but we've had to deal with that when we are able to see each other. What does that feel like? Talking about risk, which is something everyone needs to be talking about, but where in the past it was more STD, STI related, we're now talking about it in terms of just COVID, um, COVID risk. Uh, COVID contact, who have people been around for how long and what kind of spaces. So it's something we need to talk about. You know, we will for a very long time. I mean, that's the thing is the full vaccination <clears throat> might not occur because there are people that won't get vaccinated and the rest of it's going to take a lot of time. So this is something we have to be willing to talk about. So make sure you're talking to your partner about it because they might be misconstruing or misunderstanding what that physical, romantic or affectional you know, distance might be about. So it's always about that transparency. Hey, I'm feeling a little anxious about kissing. You know, can we talk about that? Can we talk about exposure? Can we talk about other ways of feeling close and intimate as I work on being more comfortable with that? So just talk it out. It shouldn't have to be that big of a deal breaker. All right, coming up next, we're going to be talking about predictors of divorce. And this is a topic that's important for everyone because again, these are general healthy relational skills, but these are things that can predict and prevent divorce. So stick around for that. Question of the night up on our Loveline IG page. So weigh in on that. You are listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back and we're talking about healthy relational skills. And we could literally talk about this every night for the entire show because there's so much to consider. Our whole lives are about relationships. Every song, every movie, every book, every conversation. And even if you're romantically or sexually single, you are still in many relationships as a employee, as an employer, as a child, as a parent, as a friend, as a colleague, um, as a neighbor. We're always in multiple relationships and all of these skills that I talk about in terms of maybe romantic partnership apply to all relationships. They all matter. 
uh, it shouldn't matter what the exact dynamic is. Everyone deserves care and respect and everyone deserves to be in healthy relationships, period, end of story. No one's let off the hook because you're the child, you're the parent, you're the employee. No, everyone's mental health is impacted by the relationships we're part of. And part of mental health is changing any and all relationships that are negatively impacting us, leaving jobs, uh, setting boundaries with family members, breaking up with sex or relationship partners, leaving friendships, because our mental health matters. It matters before all else. And if you're part of any systems, institutions, or relationships that are negatively impacting you or toxic, you need to get out or you need to change the way you're relating to them. And so we're talking about all these different skills. We talked about the startup, how you enter and begin a conversation matters. You don't want to do it in an aggressive, uh, harsh way because that will lead to issues. The stats show 96% failure rate if you don't do a soft, gentle, kind startup. Right. We also talked about the different personality styles as to which people use to relate. We don't want to criticize. Instead of critiquing and criticizing someone, just make a request. Let them know what you're struggling with and what it feels like to be in that relationship and make some requests. Hey, moving forward, can you? Right. Contempt. If you have anger for someone, if you're like, not anger, I'm sorry, if you just don't like these people, we, we it's a non-starter. It's time to go or it's time to change your behavior or it's time to get into therapy. If you realize, I just don't like my partner or if you say, I just don't any longer like this friend, you have to do some work immediately or it's time to move on. Sometimes we can't repair everything. Also, we talked about defensiveness. You have to be open to having intimate, honest conversations with those that are in your life about what it's like to be in your life. You have to be open to hearing. That's a sign that they care about you in the relationship to let you know what they're struggling with, with your personality and within the relationship. I know personally, I want my friends and I try to create the dynamic where they can come to me and say, it's really hard being your friend this week. Can we talk about that? Or this is what I'm struggling with. I, this is why I'm not able to get closer to you. I say, the first thing I always say is thank you. Thank you for caring enough about me to be vulnerable and share that with me whether or not I agree. And then I move into my thoughts and feelings and we talk it out. Also, we talked about defensiveness. That was that. Uh, and finally, stonewalling. That's the willingness. Stonewalling is that behavior. You're like, not tonight, not tonight. I don't want to hear it. Not, not later. I don't, you know, you shut it down. You have to be open. You have to be willing to sit in your anxiety and talk things out. The next thing we have to talk about is flooding. Flooding <laughs> is when you just vomit all over the partner. We want to process and ground ourselves before we start a conversation. It's overwhelming to people when we haven't settled ourselves down or worked through. So before you have difficult conversations, you have to settle yourself down. If you're at a five, a six, a seven, or eight, you are not calm enough to enter those conversations. Not only because you won't have a calm, loving startup, but because you're not even in a place to get through the conversation and have your thoughts clear. It might take hours, it might take days, it might take weeks. Sit with yourself, digest it. Really get to a grounded place where you understand clearly and calmly what it is you want to communicate. There's a place for emotions and there's a place for anger. All feelings are valid, but you don't want to flood someone. You don't, you, again, we're doing this in what we call a relational way, which honors there's a human being on the receiving end and my tone and the way I talk mirrors that. It makes it safe for them to hear me. Otherwise, naturally, they have to shut down. When someone's flooding us with undigested, unprocessed emotions, naturally, we go into a protective space and we shut down. It isn't safe for us to stay open to that. And so as you approach someone, you have to have done some of that work so that they're not flooded and overwhelmed, okay? These are massive factors that long-term studies have shown lead to divorce and the breakdown of relationships. A lot of unhappy marriages have that where whenever one of the partners wants to share or express or talk, they're just vomiting and flooding with all this overwhelming emotion that they haven't worked through. 
you have to work through that first. You have to do some of that work, journal, talk to a friend, get into therapy, take time to walk around and do walking meditation with it, read some books on it, take some notes. It's, I'm a big fan of people taking notes and entering conversations with the notepad literally in front of them on their phone or on paper saying, I wrote this down so I could calmly and clearly really walk through all my points or I'm really anxious and I want to make sure I cover what I want to cover. There's nothing wrong with that. You do whatever you need to do to be able to get through that conversation in the healthiest way because these conversations are about maintaining the relationship. That's why you're taking that time. And so you want to do it in a way that you can move forward right? We're not just vomiting for the sake of getting it out. We're doing it for the sake of being able to move forward together. So that's that. The next one that we need to talk about is body language. We have to be able to track ourselves. Again, that's that self-regulation piece. We have to be able to really be aware of when we're losing ourselves or when we're feeling in control of ourselves. When you start to feel dysregulated, you need to start calming yourself down in the moment or letting the person in front of you know, listen, I'm feeling really dysregulated. We're going to have to come back to this conversation. Or I love the quote, I don't like how I'm starting to feel and I don't like how I'm starting to talk to you. So I need to put a pause on this conversation. That's a sign that you're aware of yourself and tracking yourself. All right, we got to take a little break. When we come back, we're going to finish up talking about relational skills so as to predict and prevent divorce and the breakdown of relationships. It's important for all of our relationships. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back and we're talking tonight uh, pretty much exclusively about relationships. There's so much good research out there and I'm sharing with you uh, the, uh, a lot of different research that all comes together to really let us know and be able to predict thereby preventing the breakdown of relationships, including marriages. There is a lot of research out there where they've tracked couples over long periods of time and really analyzing what are the traits and behaviors of couples that really get together and pull off a long-term happy relationship? And what are the consistent behaviors and traits we see that are present with all the relationships that are falling apart and breaking down? And that gives us an idea of what we want to do, what our goals should be, right? What we're working towards. Um, we were just talking about body language and how it relates to self-regulation. You need to be responsible for regulating yourself. When you realize you're getting overwhelmed, you're getting too angry, you don't like what you're thinking, feeling, or you're going to say, I'm okay with people being uncomfortable. That has to be because that's intimacy where things are being shared that make you a little uncomfortable, the partner's uncomfortable in service of the relationship, right? But if you don't like the way you're starting to talk to your partner, that's the first thing. Hey, I need to stop this. I don't like how I'm talking to you right? I'm feeling really dysregulated. Maybe I need a minute. I need two minutes. I need an hour. We need to, you know, come back to it tomorrow. Cause you know, the old adage was don't don't go to bed angry. No, go to bed angry, go to bed angry. I'd rather you go to bed angry than stay up late, fighting it out, harming your relationships, saying things you can't take back because you're tired and dysregulated. Healthy people back off when they get dysregulated. Healthy people realize I'm going to start saying and doing things that I can't take back that I might not mean, but I'm tired and I'm stressed and that will allow me to say and do those things. So they, they, they regulate themselves. They are tracking themselves. We have to pay attention. And sometimes we can help our partners by co-regulating them. If we're in a loving, safe relationship, honey, it really seems like we're getting overwhelmed. Let's put a pause on this right? You, you seem like this is getting really hard for you. Let's return to this. Notice the language I'm using. Notice the tone I'm using. I'm making sure it feels safe. No one feels attacked. I'm letting them know we will come back to this. That's the key. Some conversations will not get solved that day or that minute. I work with couples where sometimes we only talk about the couple. I'm sorry. I work with some couples where we only talk about the topic together as a group. 
and they have to wait the entire week, every week. We only talk about it during our session because otherwise they don't feel like they can do it on their own. And their marriage or relationship means more than just getting it done to get it done. There's no valor in that. And so they're waiting to work with a professional to keep chiseling away at it. Other couples, they'll talk about it on their own, but they come in and out of it, knowing that it doesn't need to get solved now. And I also tell them, again, when we're in certain spaces, we're on vacation, a honeymoon, a holiday, we have to be able to shelve and come back to topics, not ignoring them, not sweeping them under the rug, not pretending it's not there, but now's not the time. We're on vacation. The vacation is only about positivity and resting. Write it down. We'll come back to it. It is not the time to air grievances or talk about the state of our relationship. Same thing maybe over a holiday or while a loved one's uh, struggling with their health or someone's passed away. We have to be able to regulate stay connected and say, we'll come back to that. Now's not the time or I'm not at my best right now. I had a long day. This is a rough week. We have to be able to do that, but we can only do that by being able to track ourselves. That is a very, very, very important skill. So track that, pay attention. We can help each other. Also, we need to work on finally repair attempts. You have to be open to repair. You have to be open when someone comes to you that you love, that you care about, who is trying to fix something. Everyone's responsible for repair. I don't care whose fault it is. If you value a relationship, you have a willingness to do the repair. Accountability is huge though. And some relationships aren't safe enough unless that person does the accountability, right? And that's why I'm not saying let things go, but if someone comes to you to do the repair, be open to hearing them and letting them know what you need. And accountability is what they often need, where you take responsibility fully for what happened, you let them know you're sorry and you tell them how you're gonna to work to be better. And then you do that. And that's how we're able to let things go and move on. And if we can't go through those steps, then we're not able to resolve and move on, right? <clears throat> it's gonna be carried with us. It's really important. And all of these skills that we've talked about tonight are things that we can apply to every relationship we're in. These are not just things that are for romantic relationships, right? Because we all have a lot of work to do. Rarely, rarely do we have a resource to look to that's showing us how to do this. Our parents are doing their best based on how their parents raised them and they were doing their best. We aren't taught these things in school. I wish we were. You don't need to know the capital of every state. We can now Google that. We should be focusing also on things like mental health and skill building. I don't want teachers teaching it because that's not their job and that's not what they're trained in, but there should be classes taught by someone that's a mental health professional on emotional intelligence, right? Other forms of intelligence are important too, right? Artistic, right? Uh, grammar and language-based, et cetera, et cetera. But so is emotional and relational intelligence. So if we can't get it at school, and we certainly aren't able to get it at home, where do we get it? We have to find good resources. And unfortunately, I'm seeing things out there that are very gendered. All guys are like this. All girls are like that. None of that's true. Everyone has traits of the other, and not everyone's male or female, so it's often very hetero and very gender binary, and that is not good. And even the people that do the leading research acknowledge that when they're working with same-sex or differently sexed couples of the creative diverse ways they can be, that this doesn't apply directly to everyone. A lot of the research is done on white cis hetero people, and that will not apply to people that have to also go up against what it's like to be a person who's black and racist America, racist white supremacist America, or, or how's this apply to people that have the trauma of being gay and homophobic America or around the world? Like Those pieces shift and change some of this because we're not always responding to the person in front of us. Sometimes we're also responding to what they symbolize or to the associations that they trigger based on others that have disempowered us or talked to us in that way. So it's a whole constellation of things that come up and that's why relational work, some of the most important mental health work we can do. So be kind with yourself, but uh, we have to start with ourselves and say, what kind of partner am I? Because healthy relationships of all kinds 
are ones where you make someone's life better off for having been in it or at least neutral. No one's let off the hook. I don't care if you're the parent or the boss or whatever it is. Your bad behavior is needs to be held accountable. You don't have a right to make people's lives toxic. And when we enter romantic or sexual relationships, we absolutely don't enter those to bring toxicity in. We have a right to demand that anyone is brought in in that way because we don't need that. We want that. That it's something that has a beneficial, positive impact on us, you know? Um, all right, y'all. We're going to be closing out the show with some DMs. Question of the night, as always, is up on our Loveline IG page. So weigh in on that. If you want to check out some past episodes of Loveline, you can do so by going over to wearechannelq.com. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new Channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. This topic uh, comes out of a really popular question. Comes into my office a lot. Also, I see these things come up on television. It's pretty punchy. So here it is. Drum roll, please. Dun, 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 dun. Should couples share their sexual histories? So uh, we love transparency, right? We love intimacy. Intimacy, again, is when you share things that make you anxious and maybe it's gonna make your partner anxious to hear because it's so vulnerable, always done with compassion. But intimacy essentially is, it's hard to share this, might be hard to hear. So sometimes it has some weight to it, but other times it's just about getting so personal that it feels a little vulnerable. That's how we know we're building intimacy, right? So I'm all about that. And I think discussing sexuality is always so important because part of dating and getting to know someone on the front end is absolutely assessing sexual compatibility and chemistry. Remember, no matter how interested you are in someone, no matter how attracted you are, that doesn't mean that sexual chemistry is gonna be there. And that is its own level of chemistry and compatibility. And that is something that has to be explored in real time. And the more you delay it, the more you possibly miss out on uh, having a really great connection while building something foundational based on some other level of compatibility. And I work with those couples, right? Where sexuality wasn't explored, it was assumed, it was hoped for. And yes, we can improve upon, but we can't insert or create chemistry that doesn't exist. Now, that doesn't mean relationships can't go forward without that. There's so many different ways to build intimacy, but most of us wanna have a sex life or a partnered sex life, right? That's why you know masturbation and solo sex are great because it doesn't necessarily require anything of the partner. So all that to say is that you do need to assess that level. So having said that, I do like the idea of talking about who we are sexually, right? But <laughs> the how many people have you had sex with is very much a loaded question because it can inform someone about us sexually, but it often doesn't. And you have to be very thoughtful about when asked. And if you don't feel good about who's asking, if it feels too soon, or you don't trust this person because they're not sex positive, because that's a caveat. If they're sex positive, then I'd feel totally comfortable with someone talking about that. But most people aren't. And when they're uncomfortable hearing about how much sex someone else has had, many people then label that person whose sex life makes them uncomfortable. They, they instead of owning, wow, I'm, I'm, you know, instead of owning, wow, I'm anxious or wow, I'm uncomfortable and, you know, making it truly about them, they project and they call the other person a slut or a sex addict, right? And that label says everything about the person using it, not about the person being called it. So deal with your anxiety, you know, work on your sexuality, your sex positivity. But unless that person is sexually healthy, we don't want to talk about our sexual history because a lot of people aren't a safe space for that. It makes them uncomfortable, they might feel inferior, they might throw it in our face. And again, we live in this toxic monogamy, heterocentric idea. Even people that are gay follow heterocentric norms called homonormativity. And it's this idea that we wanna pretend that our partner hasn't been with anyone prior to us. And this idea that if we see someone's ex, we, we need to be mad at them and snub them. And it's like, what? Grow up, come on. Other people, 
have had others in their lives. When we enter someone's life sexually or relationally, it's been in motion already. And they're allowed to have had prior experiences. In fact, I want them to, right? I want people to go through sexual, relational, developmental milestones. That's important. So we want to be very thoughtful. Some people are just curious, but feel free to say, you know what, that's a, t- that's a question I don't answer. And then they might say, oh, then it must be a big number. And you can say, you know, again, I don't answer that. You don't have to let someone pressure you into answering, even if they think your non-answer is an answer. Nonetheless, it's a boundary. And more importantly, when we set a boundary is when we get to learn about people's boundaries. If you set a boundary and they keep pushing on it, well, then you're learning that they don't have healthy boundaries uh, because they don't honor other people's boundaries, right? We have to set our boundary first. So that topic can be such a powerful, powerful topic. Now that also rolls into the idea of talking about exes. Now, if, <laughs> if you're in a safe relationship, which is what I want everyone to be in, then there is room for that because there's some beauty in the disclosure of talking about our relational past to talk about who we are now, who we wanna be again, who we don't wanna be, who we've been. So there can be something really beautifully loving and informative about that, but also some people aren't mature enough to hear that and they get uncomfortable, they feel threatened, they don't wanna hear about it. Or if they see or meet that person, they somehow see them as a challenge or an issue or a threat. Again, we don't wanna move through the world seeing it that way. So you have to be thoughtful about who you're discussing things with. Um, Not everyone is a, a safe space to talk about that. You know, um, there's also a list here of, this is another friend of mine, someone who's a a sexologist. And they said, here's a list of eight things you should never tell your partner, how good your ex was in bed, how sexually good, uh, how sexually good you were with other lovers, (laughs) past sexual behaviors that no longer reflect who you are, right? It's not who you are now. The exact number of prior sex partners, uh, favorably constantly referencing the ex, (laughs) boasting about an ex's performance or body that's superior to the one you're with now, any reference to penis size. (laughs) I mean, a lot of that's valid, unfortunately, right? Because if we lived in a body positive, sex positive world, people would be open to the idea that they're not going to meet anyone's needs totally and that people have lived a life prior to them and they're not threatened by that. And they can talk about their history and their present and who they are now and their bodies. But unfortunately we don't, and you don't want these things to be stuck in someone's mind because often they get brought back up down the road. So again, if you're in a safe relationship, which is what I want everyone to be in, and it's body positive and sex positive, and you're moving away from these hetero and homonormative ideals that are rooted in toxic monogamy, then we're good. But most people don't have that maturity. You know, There's something very you know toxic masculinity rooted in a lot of that where guys feel like their worth and value is tied to you know, comparison to their girlfriends or lovers' exes. And that's a mess, and that's unfair and unkind. So... Anyway, coming up next, sliding into those DMs. Uh, you're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. Now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Slide into our DMs is brought to you by Astroglide. This Valentine's Day, we aren't sliding into DMs, we're gliding into them. That's because Astroglide is here with a dozen different personal lubricants for whatever or whoever you want to get into this month. From self-love to an intimate night with your loved one, Astroglide can help you surpass your intimate expectations. All right, this one says, hey, Dr. Chris, my name is Alyssa. I'm 36 years old, and my partner of eight years and I just broke up about a month ago. It's been extremely hard, and what's even worse, bum, 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 is that I believe that she stole a bunch of things from me. You guys, that hurts my heart. A lot of times when we're hurt, wounded, we feel like someone's done done something to harm us. 
We're all about revenge and, and we call it justice. Let's just unpack that before we even get to the rest of your question. I want to sit with this point for a second. Um, your behavior, you're always accountable to it and your choices. And you have many when your feelings are hurt or you feel harmed, you have many choices and the ones you choose dictate your mental health. But remember, it also speaks to others about how safe you are in relationship because you're showing others what you do when your feelings are hurt or when you feel harmed. And revenge is not justice. Justice is healing and transformation and stealing something, talking badly about someone, attacking them. None of that is healing. None of that's transformative. That's not justice. You're talking about punishment and revenge. And that's a lower level form of coping. It's truly a primitive lower level. And it means you have some work to do. It means you have some maturity to do. It means you're not safe to be in a relationship right now. You should take some time, do some work on yourself. And when you have better resolution skills and conflict resolution skills, then re-enter someone's life. Because clearly you get very dysregulated when you're feeling harmed or your feelings are hurt and you lash out. I'm not saying whatever happened that made you feel the need to steal was okay, but your response is your accountability. You can never let yourself off the hook with bad behavior by saying, oh, but they blah, blah, blah. I don't care what that person did. I'm zeroing in on you and I'm assessing your mental health based on everything you do. You know, so these kinds of responses are problematic. I mean, that's how we find out about the health of a potential partner is we say to them, how did your last relationship end? Do you still talk to your ex? And we listen for the answers and it tells us their resolution skills. How did you guys deal with conflict? You know, that's huge. But let's get back to the question. The question says, um, uh, my ex stole things from me, including my social security number. So here we go. This is someone who should be wrapped in police tape and have a red flag. Anyone that knows this person, this person is not someone who's ready to be in a relationship with someone. They have a lot of work to do. Um, and again, I'm not blaming, I'm not saying that there's not necessarily blame on the person writing this DM, but this person's behavior is never warranted, period. To steal someone's social security number, y'all need to be better. Uh, I know you're not a lawyer, you're right, I'm not, but I'm finding myself at a crossroads. Some days I want to press charges, other days I feel bad for her, but this has been such a huge headache. I'm trying to be the bigger person, but I'm so torn. Is it bad to want to punish her for doing this to me and press charges or should I let it go? Uh, punishment is never acceptable. Punishment never heals or harms. Punishment never educates. We know that from the prison system. We know that putting people in jail does not decrease crime, period, end of story. We know that. And that's where we're trying to find what we call restorative and transformative justice. And that's a word you'll hear more of. How do we actually create healing and transformation? How do we actually resolve the issues that create problems, not just throw people in jail and lock them away? So should you seek punishment? No, no. Revenge might make you feel better temporarily, but that doesn't necessarily get you your social security number back. That doesn't help this person learn to be better. So I do think you need to protect yourself. And if they're misusing your social security number, well then yeah, maybe you do need to file a police report because whatever damages are done financially, the bank services and otherwise will want to know if you filed a police report. So you might need to do it for that angle, but not in service of punishment. And you should attempt to resolve the punishment piece. Um, so I don't want to say let it go because some people's process is needing accountability to let things go, but don't use words like punishment. You're, the first question should be, how do I protect myself? How do I make sure this person isn't misusing my social security number? Might it be important to file a police report? Because unfortunately, whether we want to involve the carceral system or not, a lot of insurance companies or banks will want to know that you did that to support your claim, to, to substantiate that this actually happened. So you should talk to someone who understands legal matters. You should talk to your bank. Um, but as far as using words like punishment, that doesn't help or heal anything. And so from a mental health perspective, that's never the route. Great question though. Good luck. Circle back. Let us know how that goes. 
All right, y'all, that's our show. Tomorrow night, we're going to talk about COVID mistakes. It's going to be an important show, as well as talking about important information around STDs, STIs, and how to better disclose and discuss such important topics. Question of the Night, as always, is up on our Loveline IG page. And if you want to check out past episodes of Loveline, you can do so by going over to wearechannelq.com, scrolling down to see my little face, clicking on that bad boy, and then there's all of our shows podcasted. As always, y'all, thanks for joining us. Hope you have a beautiful, beautiful rest of your night.